0: Film Crew Podcast. I'm Cindy. And I'm Dale. You can watch us on YouTube. You can like and comment on our YouTube videos and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can support us on Anchor. You can listen to us everywhere podcasts are found at 16mm Film Crew Podcast. Leave us a rate and review. And visit us on our website at www.16mmfilmcrew.com. This week we watched Honk for Jesus Save Your Soul 2022. Um, this movie is a, about a huge scandal that happens between Trinity Childs, the first lady of a prominent Southern Baptist megachurch and her husband, Pastor Lee Curtis Childs. She's h- attempting to help him rebuild their congregation after this huge scandal. So this movie is starring Sterling K. Brown, Regina Hall, and Nicole Bahari, and it's directed by Adima Ibo. Adema. Ibo, I think, probably pronounced her name. So she also wrote the movie, and Jordan Peele produced it with his production company, and Danny Kalula also produced this movie. So Dale, tell us about your thoughts
1: on this movie. <laughs> about my thoughts, <laughs> um, this movie was interesting. Um, I feel like there could have been more given in the movie. I mean, I feel like. It, it hit the marks as supposed it, but I feel like there is something missing, or there are parts that didn't really connect with cohesive, and there were some and there are some parts in it that felt kind of
2: to me disjointed in a way. um
1: but yeah, that's
3: my kind of
2: basic review for it for right now until we get further in
0: depth. Mm. um I really love this movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm not. The thing is, is that there are issues with it. Um, But for me, the issues are more on like the technical side more than they are with the story itself. Um, But I really enjoyed this because I feel like one of the issues I've always felt or I've always felt like hasn't actually been represented on screen is those issues about religion and how like that factors in with like people who are dealing with it in a modern way or like. Being able to observe, um, observe it for what it is, but also comment on the fact that it does still play a part, especially if you're a Black person in America, like church culture, especially the Black church, has a huge impact on like a lot of our upbringings, no matter what yeah. kind of section you're in. So to see that represented like in a way that felt thoughtful and honest, like I really... I really enjoyed that. Like, it just felt like it spoke to an experience that I had that I haven't seen in media yet. So, like, that's why I really like this movie. Like, despite the problems that it does have, I just feel like the fact that this is even, like, existing and that people are seeing it, like, that makes me feel happy.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's because, honestly, if we got if, if we're being honest with ourselves, a huge part of Black culture is church culture. You know the whole, you know, and it's and it's it's a generational thing. You know, passed all the way down. Um, especially the whole, I guess, America African American, you know, Caribbean side of it, the roots of that kind of an regard of religion in a way. I thought it would come from like slavery and stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's an important, even if you don't think about, but like that, it's the it's black church, like church culture, is a gigantic part of black culture, you know, like a lot of them more prominent singers, probably not now, because <laughs> you talk to anybody about the state of music as far as black people, you know, they say they're not church. Like a lot of prominent, like well known singers, you know, like uh Aretha Franklin, like Tyda LaBelle, like all these classic soulful singers, they got their start off from of church. Like a lot of people, a lot of those old musicians got this on their start in the church. So yeah. It's kind of ignored, but it is a big part of black culture.
0: Uh, it's a huge part. So um, I think that this film, well, this film was based off of a short film that um, Edema and her sister had done before. <laughs> and so this is just like a continuation of that. But I really thought this was interesting because especially now they have been so many scandals about um, churches, just Christian churches overall, like Hillsong and other um, things of that nature that have like been in the news and stuff. But this was actually based off of a real incident. Um, I forgot the name of the pastor. My mom told me about it. (laughs) But he had—he was a huge pastor in the south, and he had this big mega church. And he had been alleged to be abusing a couple of boys. Um, And then when they became of age, they pressed charges against him. I think this happened. this happened probably when I was I was still in high school when this happened. So I'm not. Yeah, I was in high school, like my mm-hmm. first year of high school. So maybe like 2011, 2010, one of one of those years. Um, and so this is kind of based on that huge scandal that happened in church, but many other scandals have happened in that same vein. Um the Catholic church is known for doing having a lot of these issues, these kind of issues for a very, very long time, <laughs> very long time. where they have historic history, like anywhere in the past, you can kind of find that, but, yeah. um, especially in these black churches, um, that was one of the bigger scandals. Now you can see it more often. And then on top of that, this idea of the prosperity gospel, which is like mm-hmm. basically, being blessed through material things, which is a big thing that is promoted or what the pastor in this movie promotes heavily, where you have these pastors of mega churches who have million dollar homes and have all of these expensive cars and expensive clothes. And, you know, a lot of their congregation is paying for their lifestyle. So yeah. it brought that into the forefront. And I'm glad because it's like... It's a thing that I, again, I feel like are talked about in our little sections, like in our sections of church, like, or if you're SDA or if you're Baptist or whatever, like we have these conversations, but so, but to put it on screen, like, and to be like, no, these are like the for real problems. And this stuff is very pervasive in the church. Like, I thought that was really good to highlight those kind of systems. Full secret
1: whispers, you know, that, that we don't want to talk about, but actually happen a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, honestly, and that's another you know, thing I did enjoy about this movie, I think if you're heavily involved in church, like, like we know the Medea side, you know, drums up a lot of the comedic aspects of it, but if you've ever been on any kind of church board, like, you can, you honestly can relate to a lot of the drama, and like I mentioned, they mentioned multiple times, and the in the movie, even prior to the situation, the pastor was getting arguments with like his deacons and stuff like that. That's a like church boards are like people like to think, like people on church boards, like elders or whoever's in like, this department of pastors. Like when a church board is happening, like them claws, then like people be people will fight. Like it's happening to me before on church board. I've gotten many other people, you know, I've gotten like it's look, church board is like probably the most like dramatic experience to ever have like a like Bart on and even 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 times i haven't like i've like i have family friends like i've grown up like i have cousins i do like pk's i have uncles that i have uncles pk um i have you know multiple family friends who are you know pastors and stuff. so i've grown up seeing all that like that drama and it's 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 hilarious to to see put on the big screen i don't think it's ever portrayed other than i think greenleaf it's never like those behind the scenes things dealing with church drama have never really been put to, to light. Because usually, if it's church drama, it's usually the forefront. It's the members of the church. Mm. You know, it's mm-hmm. never really the leadership dealing with drama. You know, so. Yeah.
0: Mm. yeah. And I didn't even watch Greenleaf, <laughs> but yeah. I've heard about it. I heard many people talk yeah. about it. But that's my thing. It's like within our circles, I've heard about these things or you've seen these things, but this is like a movie that's in the theaters. And it's not like a and com- it is a comedy, but it's more, there are a lot of dramatic aspects to it. So it's not like a Medea type of situation. Mm-hmm. It's very much like, no, this is like a real critique of like these things of this, of church culture, of what's going on in the church at the moment. And also you have like, oops, like serious actors and like. Oscar award-winning people behind it. So it feels a lot more legit. Let's just say that. It feels more legit than the things that we may have seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that one of the things that I really enjoyed about it was um, that there was another element of a competition between Jillian K. Brown's character Regina, and Regina Hall, their marriage... And also like the younger, younger up and coming church, which is yeah. with Nicole Beharie and another actor I don't know his Yeah. But and how you're like always trying to like outdo someone because it's about membership and because membership leads to tithes and stuff. Yeah. Or more offerings. I guess that's the one that pays for whatever. But. Yeah. <laughs> You know yeah. what I'm saying? And it's like we're trying to get people not because maybe because we care about the gospel, but also because we want to continue living our life the way we've become accustomed to it.
1: Yeah. And I think I think that was probably one of the best things though. Like,
0: we we understand.
1: I think after a while, you know, you meant, like the core of this movie kind of goes into the whole prosperity gospel thing, like even it's not even an issue in the Black Church, it's an issue in you yeah. know white church as well, because you have pastors of Joel Olstein, mm-hmm. uh Jimmy Swaggert you know, you have Jim uh Baker who's on the telephone selling and and like ends of the world buckets for prep time, you know, stuff like that. And people buy these things like everybody's selling up their little bottle of water and prayer cloths, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like you know, the church is a business. And for a lot of like, I know with us, our experience on the church, predominantly Adventists, you know, for Adventists, you know, the church is only really keep our money. But for a lot of these other independent churches, they keep their church, they keep their money. And from that, because the pastor, the CEO, the pastor gets a large, room, can get these, you know, limousines, and stuff like that. Some of them go to the point where they found schools, Liberty University, B.Y., Brigham University. Mm-hmm. You know, these are schools that are started as religions and the people at the top of the food chain, get the most money. But it kind of did pull back that the business side of everybody's competing with each other. Like the mission is to save souls, but the mission is also if we bring in more people, we can get more money mm-hmm. as well. And if mm-hmm. I get more money, I can live with this lifestyle. So, and like even like I mentioned, church, where you'll hear whispers like we have an event do this. Oh, there's another church doing the event the same day. Oh, we'll make our event better. Everybody says, oh, preacher, so soul and show this guy speaking at this church. Everybody like has to that church, and your home church will be empty because it's big time celebrity or whoever is like speaking. Like I remember growing up, I think we had um, I don't know if you remember, you never, you never heard. Have you ever heard heard a show like Amen? Ever probably not.
0: Was it, was it on three um, three A B N or three? No, what's three well, BN? actually,
1: <laughs> the speaker Clifton Davis was on a three A B N at one point. Okay, but I, and he's also if you know music history, he like worked at Motown, like the Chappell Five, all that. So and I remember one time in, and we, we were living in Miami, one of members of our church really, you know, had a lot of money. And he was like, oh, and he was on the board like, oh, we can invite Clifton to come preach. And then that Saturday, there are people from other churches like like it's like it's a it's it's a business. And I, and, it, and it's a constant thing. Like I hear people like, oh, we're trying to we got to recruit members for our choir from other churches to get people from those churches to join our church it's it's really a big cat and mouse game even at its core between churches so i'm I'm kind of probably pulling the veil back a bit too far but that that
0: veil you know the veil has to go sometimes you know (laughs) yeah yeah that's what we're doing in this movie that's what they're doing in this movie they're peeling back the veil um i i saw it in my church growing up um because my parents were in leadership roles and then when i started getting into leadership roles in my church i saw there too the school that we attend and that church you see a lot of stuff that is very heavily business oriented especially like when the other pastor was there he was gone now (laughs) but and it was almost but it wasn't like a secret like it was very open and like out there. It was very like, this is how we're running the like, you're running the church as a business wasn't something that was looked at. Kind of weird, especially if you were like one of the big top churches. It yeah. was looked at something like, yeah, this is normal. And but, then, uh, you know, yeah. hold,
3: on a hold, hold on one second. Hold on. I told them i are recording. I decided to knock on my door anyway. Give me it. Give me a second. apparently i think my mom caught covid so they're trying to tell everybody hey
2: don't go in there so yeah she's accidental so she's fine
0: okay i was like yeah. i didn't want to be the one to ask
1: <laughs> yeah no, i don't know why they couldn't just text
3: me that i told them I'm the recording yeah okay where were we <laughs> uh oh
0: i'll just
3: keep talking um okay. but yeah are oh, you s-
2: what? You, you use this. I think you just said when you were on um, the school, you were talking about a school
0: mm. yeah. yeah yeah. um but I think when you look at church as a business, it, there is something that's very like disillusioning about it because now it's not about like cultivating a relationship with God or like fellowshipping with other people. It's it's like numbers and it's you know, advertisement marketing like it's like we have to present ourselves in a certain way so people will come and you, and I've seen in, in my own church, like how they'll switch tactics and try to do certain things, get like younger people to be involved, not necessarily because they 100% care about our outlook, but more because youth is like what gravi- is like gravitating more people to like be interested in church again, I guess. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's not great.
4: Yeah.
1: Like it kind of sucks. It's it's a it's a of look. I came to I think the part where I came to that point, me growing up, I'm talking about me on a personal level at was at college. Of course, the Oakwood experience, like we both went to Oakwood, like that experience working at the church and realizing, oh, it's a business because not just that we also were broadcasting on TV. You'd have events where like Kurt Franklin would come up. It's at the end. And I was like, oh, I It kind of solidified in my head that oh churches, especially for black people it's a business and indirectly with theology, majors there to a degree. Someone would go to church, like someone would go to non-denominational church outside of the Adventist domination to see, and they say, oh, we want to learn from other other churches and mimic their styles. Like, oh, you're thinking the dollar signs. You're already planning to run your mega church, you know, and whatever. And there was also, you know, the issue of we were both aware of the preferential treatment. If you were related to a pastor or or a known pastor, you got preferential treatment from certain teachers or certain individuals on on that campus so yeah it's yeah that's (laughs) that's black church culture to be to be honest so you know so yeah
0: i could definitely see that especially with that little his disciples of five people who were like just sticking around after everyone else left like you can kind of see that there where it's like well we're sticking with him because i don't know like Favoritism. Maybe it'll work. Yeah. yeah, maybe it will work. Maybe we'll <laughs> get a position again. Like maybe we'll like be popping again, which is
1: he'll, like he'll he'll remember little old me and this old man could probably become first elder. That lady gets a part of the children department. And the funny thing is, while we're, while we're talking about those characters, the girl even explained herself. Little girl, like from the Bible says, from the mouth of babes. Or I'm probably quoting the scripture wrong, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> um where she was like oh i love theater yeah you know where where he's you know mimicking you know the whole uh the the whole baptismal scene where they did all these theatrics like going on and she goes oh i love theater like that was really what so like thinking back on the movie as its entirety that's really so like the whole mystique and facade of like the, the, the gospel side of it to a degree is theater for a lot of these uh uh Churches, so
0: yeah, 100%. And I was like, that was such a brilliant line because it's like, it's so true. Like, there's so much theatrics, ceremonial stuff that goes on Mm -hmm. in these churches that are like accepted as traditions, accepted as just like cultural things, touchstones. And it's like, does this have anything to do with like the man in the mission? You know what I mean? Like, I don't think so, but it's stuff that we've come become accustomed to, and actually. I know I've seen that it's bled into even Adventist churches because I don't know if many of our viewers are (laughs) religious people or whatever, but like Seventh-day Adventist is a, I guess, a section of Christianity. I don't know the specific terms, but so you have like Baptist, Pentecostal, Adventist, that's one of them. And Adventist used to be a very conservative type of group of people. Um, And the thought of even having like drums or standing up and shouting or whatever in church was looked down upon at a certain point. And then slowly as the years have gone by, more of the Baptist kind of cultures, Pentecostal cultures especially, has kind of bled its way into our kind of ceremonies and the way that we do things. That's not a bad thing. Which I don't think is bad. But I'm just saying like, you can just see like there are elements that are really not like important or essential in terms of like relationship with God, which is probably the, that is like the basis of like why we go to church, why we have Mm -hmm. faith or whatever. Um, So things like praise dancing, and I'm not talking about like praise dancing, like when you got the music and you learn the choreo, I'm talking praise dancing when you're like stomping and like going hard up in the altar or whatever um going off and running around the church you know stuff like that that's what well, i mean
1: <laughs> praise i praise dancing me has always really bugged me and i'm beyond praise dancing like the one that always got me the most and like even even follows that uh what does not matter i've been to church or another sunday church because uh, so i do work for i do work for other churches mm-hmm. um even being there, like the the whole like the whole mime dancing, like I never, I never under I never, I never got it. Is it are you miming or is it interpretive dance? And if it's interpretive why are you wearing like clown makeup? Like I, I every time I would see, and I have, I have a friend in college, you know, a couple, I knew a couple people who did that here in Atlanta, and I think I went to an event, and I was like, yo, yeah, ain't that it? Has that's homeboy. I still laughed. I was like, I don't care. Like, the, I, like it's, it's one of those things where if I see you if I see you in like as a black person with a white face paint and you start like crumping and I hear like Kurt from, like, in the background, I'm gonna start laughing like no matter what. I'm sorry. I love you. You can be friends, but
2: you getting these jokes like no matter what. So
0: <laughs> I liked the praise miming and that's actually a big part of this movie too, especially towards oh. the end. Yeah it i thought it was nice when they're really into it um but i guess if it's not your thing it's just not your thing you're not gonna enjoy it but i thought it was okay
1: <laughs> so let's well we've kind of went on our whole you know, experience. Yeah, so let's, we, let's, know. they circle back and in, back into I, the movie
0: i, I feel like know. we are uniquely qualified to talk about this though yeah. So, because we are we're in the, we're in the experience as we speak, so we're like we can talk about yeah. this. We are experts. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did love, and this is a huge part of the movie that I was just like, okay, I'm one thousand percent in. Is when they're on their way to the other church, and they're singing and they're rapping knuck If You Buck" in the car. Yes. When I tell you that that was the most representative thing I've ever seen in terms of like faith and like church culture, like. Once you leave the building. When I tell you that, I I won't say where I was at or with whom, but what I would say is that, like, I went to church one morning and I sang with my choir. And that evening, my friend took me out and we went to a club in the town of the school that I was going to. And when I tell you I saw every single member of my choir there, I saw every single member of my choir. So that was just the most real thing though like it's like as soon as the sun sets
1: <laughs> as soon as you know for for us like you know as i've we do the whole sunset thing but as soon as that sun drops and it's like seven o'clock like game is on I saw the same thing that we were in, in in school like friday that friday you know Oh, as soon as friday hit like you'd see people go up to ay service or whatever whatever and then the moment sunset friday night case up or after i mean like or after the bass if there was a basketball game after the basketball game everybody is like is getting turned and whatever so it's 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 the moment you're not in that presence that that whole church dynamic for some reason leaves you and you just click into it It is honestly i can't even front cast i think it's a human thing you get into the mindset that the Friday or whatever day you preparing to go to church you you switch your mindset but instantaneously the moment that clock or something goes beep it's it's a wrap all games are off I'm on the road you know I'm you know so
0: yeah but I just loved it I loved that moment because to me that spoke to just something that was very quintessentially about like people who are in church and people who are Christian is that like there is a dichotomy between I guess your spiritual self and then like your regular self or yeah. whatever you, or whatever you're Portray. doing or portraying like six days out of the week. Right. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it's so that's the, the craziest thing. I feel like studies can be done on this. Cause it's really interesting how, how like you can believe these things and have a strong like faith system in I guess that relationship and in church culture in having like fellowship with other people, but then there is the other side that is, I guess, quote unquote worldly. I don't really know what, I don't like that word, but (laughs) things that I guess other people do who aren't in church. But then when you realize that, like, we're all just kind of doing the same thing, except we, we do something else. Like, what does that mean? Cause it's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, I will listen to a whole Kendrick album and rap all the stuff. And then as soon as it's Friday night, like, I'm listening to Fred Hammond. Like, I'm, you know what I'm saying? And it's just, and I don't know what that means.
1: I just think, honestly, at the end of the day, those moments make you human. At the end of the um, day. Like, you, like, what you do, and honestly, I view it as this way I do, is you you do whatever puts yourself in the mindset for whatever you're about to do. I think, I think of those moments of where you're your are like whatever you're preparing to go to church the next day or whatever whereas in those moments you're preparing like you get the gospel the same day as you prepare for a vacation or where you're traveling like you get a bag pack whatever you're set so, anticipate i think the whole queuing up and preparing the gospel you know leading up or even the day of it's you in that, mind, in, that in that space you're preparing yourself in a way i don't know it's i don't know it's 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 how humans are. We we do it with certain friends. We do it with certain family members. You know, we do it in everyday life. You you mentally prepare for work differently than you would mentally prepare to go have fun with your family. You know, you, you knowing you have to go to work the next day, you decide, oh man, I gotta go to sleep at this time. And you mentally prepare, oh, if I go and I wake up this time, I have this much time to be ready. I'll I'll compete this much traffic. It's it's no matter what you're doing, you're that's just how we are. No matter what your environment, you're always doing that kind of juggling and you know in a way it's in a way it's almost like code switching like changing way speaking like especially for black people code switching it's it's more like environmentally switching in a way yeah I
0: and i think that's what the director was saying she was saying like that this movie really came about from talking about the serious critiques that she had with the church, her and sister that they had with the church and how they were very disillusioned and they weren't interested in it after a while. Yeah. Um, and also an acknowledging the huge part it plays in their lives and the aspects that they do like about it. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where I mean, I don't I can't speak for everyone, but I know for myself when I see what's going on in the church today and not feeling connected to it at all, really. Um, but still wanting to have that spiritual, um, outlet and have that spiritual growth, but not really associating with the rules and the regulations and the practices of what's happening in the church currently and feeling maybe pulled by other ideas because I'm watching different movies from places around the world. And you know, we're doing this podcast. So we're exposed to so much more, like so many other points of views that it's like, how does all that filter through? How do you process all of that? What does that mean? Like, how does that reflect on the stuff that you learned growing up and the stuff that you're unlearning now that you're seeing that some of the stuff is kind of really toxic and unhealthy. And as we're unveiling all of these things, where does that leave us? I think that this movie is really good for that because it really just breaks that down and, and it asks legitimate questions yeah. um, while also being like, yeah, there are certain things that are really lit about this environment and that's good about it, but there are serious issues. So yeah, it's I, like,
2: you know? Yeah. And I think, I think um, they did address a
1: lot of that aspect. I think particularly more so than um, I think Let's be honest, Regina. Um, her King, Regina King is the main character, the main focal point of the of the movie. And from her, you you have her dealing with the issues of being like a pastor's wife, you know, being a face to church and having to deal with those issues of oh, I love my lifestyle. Oh, but my husband was beyond unfaithful. He was really kind of perverted in a way, and I can't even say kind of. He was perverted in a way. Yeah. Um. <laughs> um but i love this lifestyle you know my mother she said her fa- my father was the same way she stood stood by him and you know that whole that whole model like oh you're the pastor's wife you're supposed to st- stick by him through the and thing even though you as a person individually you are suffering a great deal which a lot of people don't see like once again that's one of those things if you've not been in church you would not know i've you know you inter- i've been in- like interacted with pastor's wives and all those people like i grew up like going to a pastor's house and you know like I think at the end of the day people have this thing where pastors are these perfect beings but if you actually spend know them and their families on the first level, they make the same everyday mistakes. Like you know they people they yell at each other. They argue like a regular regular mm-hmm. couple. Um and I think um there is near the end of the movie where one of the directors uh, the actual I think the actual directors are behind the scenes mm-hmm. talking. She acts one of, um one of them In the middle of Virginia's breakdown, she's like, "Why are you still here?" And um, and that kind of sums up like the whole thing of the of the movie, like talking about all this church drama. You have these young men being, you know, assaulted by the pastor, but they go to north they go okay, they went to North the Cab Mall. We both know, me and you on a on a level, that that's North the Cab Mall. That's that's North the Cab Mall. We mean you we know we know that vault well, very well The moment I saw her walking to that food crowd, I was like, that's North the cab Mall. I was like, Why
0: is the fuck so familiar? And, you know, <laughs> I
1: thought like I was in my seat like giggling the moment I saw her walk into like heading toward that hat boutique, I was like, This is North the Cab Mall. I will know I know that mall anywhere for the for the rest of my life i would know the cat mall um but um she like in those scenes like and she's watching she looks in the mirror and she sees those boys that her husband harmed they still go to the church they still don't they they still are in the middle of the mall with their bibles having a personal like bible study Mm -hmm. like in the midst of all that like where you most people honestly would lose like their waiting faith and disconnect from church charlie they still for intensive purpose state they're still here Mm -hmm. you know and she to counter that question she she was like when she got that question like why are you still here?" she countered with another question like uh those kind of questions aren't going to lead you closer to the truth you know because i think i think everybody has their truth like i'm on a personal level i'm i'm honestly disillusioned with the church as an organization and i can tell you as somebody who like works sort of in a church who works for multiple who works for a sunday church you know even even in those spaces no matter the location or the worship experience like for me i'm disillusioned like because i feel the only way i get joy is not me being a building for like four hours for me it's eight hours every weekend but for me it's like going into community and like doing stuff like i remember doing having that for humanity once with my youth group one time that filled me with so much joy you know seeing the homeless like that's what those experiences those helping people those are what keep me in the church everybody everybody internally has their own schisms or issues with the organizational structure but there are certain things no matter how much you might leave but you might leave the religion you might leave the church but there's always that little thing in there that still keeps you tied and close to it I
0: yeah that's very true yeah. i yeah. thought that was such a powerful statement especially towards the end i felt like we were getting a lot more of the i guess gut punch moments well for me um yeah. one of them being when that guy who was like picking up trash around the area um i think he either was an inmate or was, or, it, or is currently. They said he was
1: like a former or he was an inmate.
0: Yeah. And he was like, you know what, you, what you did really helped me. He's saying that to Sterling's character who has been accused of these huge, <laughs> of these massive scan of these mass, um, massive allegations of abuse. Um, someone is some young kid is coming up to me being like, yeah, you really helped me and it helped kind of turn my life around or whatever. And then you have one of the abused guys coming up who was the guy in Booksmart. I love him. But um he came up and was like, the community doesn't need you anymore. Like, and I felt like those interactions were so those were like hitting toward those characters specifically because it's like, yeah, everything that you've told yourself up to up until this point about who you were and why you were doing this, here's someone reflecting who you've hurt saying like, no, like actually everything that you're saying and everything that you believe about yourself is a lie. Because you did this, and I thought that was really interesting. Because it's like now that he doesn't have a congregation, he doesn't have like people to perform in front of or help in the way he feels like he's helping. He doesn't know who he is at all. Yeah, and um, everything's like riding on the church reopening, but like it seems like everything's kind of falling apart. And I and I really and I like that they ask certain questions. I just don't like the reactions to it, because I don't know, like if someone said that to me, I would just be like, okay, yeah, you're right. And then I just wouldn't do it anymore. Like I would just have like a serious identity crisis and just not be a pastor. Or if someone said that, like the director asked her um, the question in the church and she was like, you know, your answers aren't going to, the answers aren't going to lead to any closer to the truth. Instead of being like, yeah, I should leave. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, I guess it's not the responses I wanted. So that's why I was just like, mm. but they are probably the most realistic because if you're a narcissist and then you're also like just addicted to a lifestyle of being front and center. Yeah. I mean, you can be presented with the issues, like point blank to your face, but are you really going to do anything about it? Mm. No. <laughs> and I was yeah.
2: like,
3: okay,
0: sure. <laughs> it's, it's,
1: I don't I don't know. I guess also in that scene with Starling's character, there's a mixture of of course there's always gonna be at the core of the like we as humans we all love titles. So I think the biggest title you could have in the black church, like even to a degree some people like even if you're a basketball player or whatever, like the biggest title you could probably have on a on a like a mature order levels is, you're you're a pastor, you know. You know, mm-hmm. no matter what, because we, we hold, you know, the whole, they're God's children. Even though at the end of the day, we understand that, you know, a lot of these pastors that we, you know, interact, go to school with, they choose to become, you know, pastors mm-hmm. on an individual level because they see the the money not less. And it, for his character, if you're a, an egotist like he is, to, like, when someone tells you, oh... Oh, what you said really helped me. You'll get that pump of that that those endorphins release. Like, oh, okay, yeah. People still need me, I got this. But then you have the flip side of where the kid is like, we don't need you anymore. The community Mm -hmm. doesn't need anymore because you have all these other churches to fill that gap that you thought you were filling. It's Mm -hmm. it becomes a real a real blow. And the most disheartening thing about that scene to me sums up, I think, probably my disenjoyment with the movie is that scene kind of goes back and forth to the parody documentary movie to the real movie mm-hmm. and that that scene kind of sums up my on my disenjoyment to a degree because the best moments of that movie for me is when they weren't filming the market the documentary part like the, you it, the movie does let you know when they're doing that and the um the aspect ratio of the scene changes, and I do feel like the whole most heartfelt stories or parts of that movie were the parts where the mock the, the documentary side was not involved, mm-hmm. and I really do think um if they had spent time with this I- idea a little bit more, I don't know how long they were in that whole incubation phase. I do think there is a perfectly valid and a perfectly wonderful way they could have still made the whole mock- documentary mockumentary style with the comedy and the series there's a point where they could have been a perfectly balanced where nobody doesn't tell you oh this is the funny part this is a serious part this is the funny part this is the serious part so much i really think you know there they could have been a, a nice execution where you got all those elements in one perfectly done because Real life, there are funny moments and there are sad moments in the movie, in in real life. And I think in the movie, they felt like to let you know, oh, this is a funny scene coming up. There's a series like, I think one scene where he's trying to, he goats her into doing the
3: whole, the praise mime thinking, it kind of does... It changes slowly. And then it does, like a, it does like a dolly zoom almost
1: in a way where it focuses solely on her. But the um the focal length makes her head look bigger and mm-hmm. it makes her fill the screen. Like those, and like you're putting her in that mind. You're basically that whole scene is you're putting her putting your putting the audience in her mind in a way. And that that the whole she doesn't verbally say it, but you could tell the way Regina acts perfectly in that scene of the whole i don't want to do it the whole the whole thing like i really wish like they could have like they're they they like i really wish like they could have done a, a better balance of both experience like, i do feel like the serious moments of this one were probably the the better parts of this movie to a degree mm. that's just my opinion so
0: yeah i i think that I really didn't like how it was edited. I think that there were so many like weird shots in there where it's like, why are, like, why are we cutting like a whole bunch of times to get the same info? Like, it's not like we're cutting for a purpose or to even really see someone else's perspective. Cause like, we already know what their perspective is. They're being like yeah. shouted at, or they're being talked to or they're talking in a conversation. And then they keep like cutting back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then the aspect ratio keeps changing and changing. And it's like, okay, this is hurting my eyes now. Um, but also there are scenes that go on way too long. Way too long, yeah. And that needs to be dealt with in editing, I think, as well. <laughs> like, the pacing was really smooth at some parts, and then at other parts it was just drags. And so it's like, I think this may be their first film. I'm not really sure. But mm-hmm. um, those are kinks that you kind of have to work out, I guess. And as
3: you... Yeah. yeah,
0: as you go along, but also should just be worked out anyways, because you can feel when something's dragging. Like, you know, like, if you watch movies, you already know. So, as whoever's in the editing room a- get <laughs> up.
1: There was a scene where,
0: and it's, it's not just
1: even editing, it's because it's, at, at its at his core, editing is a collaboration. As much credit as we give editors, and this is coming from an editor, the that collaboration also comes from the director because you're only going to get what the director wants to shoot yes that's it
0: you're going well yeah what i mean is like in post when the director's in the editing room with you which is what i'm i assume happens anyways that's common practice (laughs) right that's what i'm saying like as a director as a person who's in there you you feel when something's dragging so you can just be like uh let's not include all of that we got the main point already
3: like two minutes ago I mean, and it's weird because a dorm room is filled up with this high school personal trophies. Like, mm-hmm. They wouldn't
1: really be in it. They'd still be at your house. Why are you decorating your dorm room with? Anyway, um, the scene where they transition then to the basketball court, that scene starts where they're at like, the bleachers and the ball, the, those cameras at the opposite sideline.
4: Mm-hmm. And I
1: think a few things you focus the whole time is the ball, is, are the, is the rack of basketballs. And that scene drags so long because you have to, they're having their conversation, whatever they're doing. Then you has 7K Brown, come, 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 and focus, come in focus, come and focus. And the camera just stays still and it walks. And he comes to the frame, he goes to the ball, and then the camera starts to him back mm. to where the other guy is. I felt like that, like that, that was a perfect, I think, there's nothing wrong with that scene this entirely because it really, Kind of sums up the past's problems, like we actually finally visually see it.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: My thing is that shot just is far too long for that scene.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It it really there's
2: like it, it really was,
3: yeah. and then um
1: yeah and that and, and yeah it's one of those things you learn or you know how they thought about it. like maybe that the scene could be shot a different way or or whatever I don't I don't know
0: right. But, I will say the scene that was most like impactful for me was when, um their sex scene, because you can mm-hmm. really see in that scene like, one, the allegations are probably true, because <laughs> he's probably like not uh, into or attracted to his wife at all, mm-hmm. and just her struggle to even like try to communicate that intimacy with him just like went nowhere and that was very painful and again that was one of the scenes that weren't wasn't being documented so it was like the real movie <laughs> and so it just felt very it was just very sad and honest of like these people are trapped in this marriage and it's going downhill fast and it's like put the plug but no
1: you know i can't really it can't really pull the plug because if she leaves it has a, let's be honest as Black people, especially older black people, mm. the elders, as we're talking about church culture, even outside church culture, mm. they look at divorce kind of differently than our generation would because they're coming up from a time where, yeah, your man might have, you know, abused you. You had multiple families or whatever. You stayed by him part and parcel to the part because you're a faith, you're a God fearing Christian woman. Mm. And also to the fact that because nine times out of ten you didn't really have anything for yourself you know so you were you were stuck and that's the situation her mom found herself in she's like oh i stayed with him until he died
0: mm, yeah. that was so painful to hear um, yeah that's so, real people will say that yeah the ladies of um, the church so. will say that <laughs>
1: yeah and it's, it is also worth knowing like oh you're you're a, a pastor's wife and they have the whole thing of you know the devil is a, does it doesn't like You, as you, when the thing, the funny thing with churches, I always realize is when people as individuals, like, fuck up, their go-to is, oh, the devil's attacking me. Nah, sometimes it's, it's, it's you, playboy. Sometimes, (laughs) on a a personal level, sometimes you, you be, you be fucking up, so. um,
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's so true. I hate when people use that excuse. It's like, nah, it's you. It's you. The devil made
1: me do it. Nah, you you knew what you were doing. You could have you stopped. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, 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 the only scene I think that I probably thought was shot perfectly in those... Because um, another issue with those, the going back and forth with the series and comedy, you know, the movie also gets serious because every single serious moment from either Sterling K. Bowne's character or from um, Regina King's character is a profile shot.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: It's always that three, the, uh, the three-fourths angle of their face or is kind of rotating or framing up or framing down there. That's always that. But I do think that probably one of the best ones to me in that serious three, uh, three fourths so three quarter shot is on what Gina King is trying to express herself to the documentary crew and why, how the documentary should be, you mm-hmm. know, because she kind of, she already sussed out that they're not trying to make the, a documentary documentary. They're, doing this for their own personal gain on on you and she's Hmm. like this is what i want let's all right now that we've had our fun let's be serious and i want you to know what this documentary needs to be about you know because she kind of she kind of he's focusing on the on the fame side and she's focusing on the personal side because she's she knows herself she's a little person and she knows if those unsightful things with her husband come out it's not going to it's not gonna look good either, so.
0: Yeah, very true. Um, So yeah, I will say that Sterling K. Brown and Regina Hall did a great job. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't remember seeing Regina in like a dramatic movie per se, or I know she did that show with um, Don Cheadle, but I didn't watch it, so (laughs) I don't know. This was like my first time seeing her really in like a semi-dramatic role, and I thought she did a really good job. Jolene K. Brown is, like, my favorite person. I love him so much. He is so great, and he's so good at, like, again, balancing, like, humorous moments with very, like, serious moments because I think the character of Lee Curtis is very – he's, like, a larger-than-life figure and who doesn't know how to deal with, like, the serious moments of life in a way that, like, is – you would expect someone to deal with those things – Like, things are going really bad for him. Like, really bad for him. And he's still, like, putting on a show, trying to be, like, trying to be cool with the documentary crew. Like, really trying to be, like, this persona that he's already um, put on for everyone. And I thought that was really interesting because with Regina's character, you see those more honest moments where she's like, no, this is, like, my life is seriously in trouble. And she's able to, like, show that and communicate that. And he isn't like even in his when he's trying to like do his his um re, the church is reopening he has given this big sermon while they're practicing he's thinking that he's doing something really legit and she's like no i can I don't, I don't feel it i don't think that's true it doesn't ring true to me yeah so it's just like i don't know but i think he does such a he's does such a good job he's such a good actor um i wish nicole Bahari was in this more <laughs> that's yeah. my only my other only complaint is i love her and i wish you can
1: get nicole bahiri and more things
0: please Yeah,
1: because <laughs> yeah, honestly every every other day on twitter i see the scene from the striking vipers episode of uh, of the black mirror really and everybody is always talking about that whole diner scene um or the mm-hmm. way she's the most of it, like, oh, my gosh, Kobe is the most amazing, you know, actress in the world. But then she's never she doesn't get cast and stuff. So, look, yeah. look, let's so we're going to start a, Let's start a GoFundMe right now or, 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 you know, a Kickstarter. You know, we want to make a movie. We're going to make us you you're going to you. You're the writer, I assume you're going to write a script. I'll 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 edit the start of the movie. We'll figure we'll figure everything out. We're gonna cast Nicole. We just go up front. The main character is Nicole, and we'll fill the gaps from there. Nicole, please be in our movie. (laughs) But yeah, um, okay. Those yeah, yeah, the movie.
0: What are you rating it? What are you giving it? How do you feel about it overall?
3: I'm gonna give it a three, a three point three out of five, because. Like I said, that uh, that in uh, the way
2: of
1: pulling back the veil of, you know, black church culture and ex showing us the toxic elements of it. Because um, 'cause let's be honest, this movie was not made or marketed for a white audience or glo- a wider audience. It was like mm. this is a movie for black people, no matter no matter how much prominence, you know, Regina King now, not Regina King, Regina Hall mm. and so on half within, you know, White people know their name now from her hosting the Oscars and from him, you know, on um on the um
4: oh crap I forgot short the us, show yeah. oh yeah
1: this is us this show was this movie was for black people so it kind of pulls back the veil and actually serious issues with the black church but also those moments of you know the disjointed comedy serious moments that the the main that's one of the main sticking out points for me because I do think if they found a way to manage it properly and then the editing of the movie and the, and, and the policy is sort some of the those scenes where they're going back and forth, the, the pacing is really erratic. Like those technical things in the movie, I do think if they had been ironed out or smoother, or personally, I think because Jordan Peele, his production company was involved, mm-hmm. I do think probably Jordan himself, personally, could have you know in the process and seeing them like, hey, maybe you guys should you know, solve like you know, find a more delicate balance of what you're trying to do. So on a, for me on the like. I think everybody's performance was perfect in this movie. You know those awkward songs between the two, the her the other church member in the mall. I seen those perfectly. Like it's a church member you hate, but you gotta pretend to be nice to them. Trust me, there's a there's a few that I, like there's a few people that I do that still. You know, as an adult, like hey, you were mean to me as a kid. I'm adult. I'm gonna be nice to you, even though I hate you. Um, like those were perfect. But I feel like on a technical level there were so many issues for me that you know, if they were probably ironed out probably this movie would probably be like higher probably like a 4.5 or a 4 well either 4 or 4.5 but the technical aspects like they really kind of diminished
0: the movie for me you know? yeah i think i gave it a three and a half out of five stars on letter on letterboxd I really like this movie, just the story, because it again, it speaks to something that I feel like I haven't really seen um, mm-hmm. articulated in this way. And it, it is such a huge part of like my upbringing in my life because mm-hmm. I went to a Christian university. So much of my life has been in the church culture. So it's like having seen that kind of representation was really it just felt really satisfying because it's like. It feels like finally someone's talking about it. <laughs> Maybe that's it. And, and it's not in like a self-serious way. There's humor in it, which makes it kind of go down a little bit easier. Yeah. But yeah, I really love the story. Again, the technical aspects, not the performances, but just with how some of the things were directed, edited, whatever. That could have been a lot better. Um, I've seen a lot worse.
2: I've seen a lot i Yeah, but it is in a lot worse. <sighs>
0: because i think we have a certain standard of um how movies should be made and how they should look um this does this kind of falls beneath that standard um so there's that i don't know if the people who are like generally just like gonna watch this movie like i recommend this movie to my mom my sister and i don't think they're gonna really catch they're not gonna notice it no No. (laughs) they're not gonna catch it No, but for us you know we can't help but see it, so it does bring it down a couple of notches. but I still do love this movie, and I do encourage everyone to see it. even if you're not religious. I think that it still speaks it to a lot of the stuff that maybe you've heard or seen because some of the stuff has been in the news, so yeah. you know It's
1: all like, I you know, people want not agree with the art Testament, but all those aspects, performance, the the performance side, the technical side like music, editing, like, you know, the way the the looks, the cinematography, sound design, all that are what makes a movie a movie. And mm-hmm. you know, if half of that is lacking, even as good as the other half is, it's it's not gonna the full cinematic experience is not gonna is not going to be as impactful for this like we're like we're not one of those people who say oh the actors are amazing so this movie therefore is amazing right Uh, a movie a movie is literally about the whole experience of what how it leaves you feeling you know and and not even to bring up how it how you feel like this movie ends abruptly it just ends
2: Hmm. like like that um
1: and and it was and I and I and I kind of was like, I thought I would only notice it, but in the end of the at the end of the movie when it just ended some I heard somebody next to me like, yo, that's it? This <laughs> and like that, and I saw people lingering thinking it was like just a, like a scene transition and then the as soon as somebody saw the credit card, they everybody said it block. Mm. Everybody was like caught off guard for how abrupt the movie, you know,
2: just ended. So mm. yeah
3: yeah well, there it is. <laughs> yeah.
2: um,
1: so moving on, you know, moving on from that experience of Washington I wanna do mention i do I do realize halfway through let's talk about I kept saying Regina King is'm so sorry I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry you know? yeah. but um, yeah, moving on to the box office stuff um. So I don't know if anybody was at the movie theater, particularly Saturday. I know last week you did mention about the whole National um, Theater Day, um, but based on my experience going to see this movie, um, I think that idea, a concept to me, was a, was a success because mm-hmm. that was the first time in a long time, particularly it's and it's and you know, I would to see it on my Saturday. Saturdays are usually packed. Like I wouldn't say packed, packed because you can kind of see, but this was the first time where I entered and. You know, I don't know why people don't order a, their food and their tickets online because you can do that through these apps and phones, but I saw the ticket counter had a long line. I saw Concessions had a long line. Um, But then, so it might be a false, a false thing. Well, I can't say it's false because I went to go see a predominantly Black movie and I saw Black people in there and it wasn't that full. So maybe that's it. But from the outside looking in, the fact that I go into the movie theater and people are already, you know, waiting in line and trying to buy tickets and concession. I do think the idea of National the Theater Day was a success to a degree. Um, um, One of the bigger movies of this weekend, of course, it's it's re-released with Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, And when I go further in a box office review, it, it kind of did take the crown for the weekend, which is unexpected. I think this movie hasn't been in theaters for almost, I want to say, nine months. Mm. But this is kind of the Marvel trend of movies, you know. Before, at one point, they would always uh use sell a movie, the movies out of out of uh a theatrical on the DVD or VHS comes out, and you get all the behind the scenes and the cut features and stuff like that. But Marvel was like, yeah, we're just gonna re-release these movies and all those special features, you know, and not put it on DVDs and stuff, whatever. Which I really, and especially that's the state of streaming as a whole because of all these movies streaming. All those behind-the-scenes bits that you know. I remember like buying a DVD. Like I remember like buying the Dark Knight on DVD as a as a kid when it came mm-hmm. out and got, and getting to see like Christopher Nolan talking about you know the stunt chase on the on the roof of the Batmobile and how they shot this and stuff like that. Like the behind scenes like those those scenes. if, like and I think those are one of those things that kind of push them forward more into loving. You know beyond just looking at a pretty picture but loving the the art the art of you know filmmaking and the amount of work that goes into it and those experiences to me are like lost in the age of streaming you know those those clips of steering directors talk about you know why they did that and i think the only property i think that i get that nowadays would be like saying um, i think like uh the walking dead has their after show where they either bring in a guest actor to talk about the scene or whatever or i think now at game of thrones the game of Thrones after podcast, you have your directors and everything but
0: for a large they part do a podcast yeah, do <laughs> podcasts, but,
1: yeah but for the most part those behind the scenes moments are largely lost um and of course another breakout when i say breakout would be um top gun maverick it passes. It finally passes Black Panther, um, to the tune of um seven hundred point one million um dollars. Not not surprised. It wasn't a if, but it wasn't if Top Gun reaches that moment. Another it was always a win. It earned over this Friday Sunday part of the weekend. You can kind of say this Monday kind of counts as we're recording. Um Friday Sunday it earned about seven point nine million dollars, fighting off, of course, a No Hay Home um uh, re release. Uh, so yeah and and that was those two that spyro no way home wasn't the only release re release in box office um so was jaws for its anniversary but to go over the top 10 numbers in its whole um once again of course Bert 10. Down from five is Dragon Ball Super Superhero. Um, of course, and we, like I said before, Last Week was always going to have a big drop because that audience for it had kind of watched it in the first week or first, first days of its drop. Um, the change in theaters that it's featured in drops to about. 500 it lost 500 theaters it was in and it made an average week, you know, so you have about a thousand dollars so now it was always good it was basically the few people who didn't see it when it came out they waited till a three dollar deal and decided to go cash it. so it was always on be one of those movies that dropped off um holding that steady spot at number nine from weekend to weekend Is Thor: love and thunder um like i mentioned four draws uh re-released uh released um this weekend it re- debuted at eight um minions rest group um was up one spot two jaws at seven um it just obvious beasts had a massive drop just like Dragon Ball Spiro, from three to five over three to, to from three to six over uh debut weekends um the invitation um which debuted at number one um for the number one um now goes back to five dc super pets uh four spot only home release of course theater, um main whole city of plot two and the only real movie of course i mentioned it passed the numerical threshold was top gun maverick i think people gives again three dollars say i'm gonna go rewatch top gun maverick it increased in theaters it was shown in um to about additional 150 more um and it took and it had a large the largest uh gain between week well yeah largest uh, second largest gain for weekend to weekend at uh as far as girls at 27.1 percent and it went from um draw four to number one with its 15 weekend theaters so and on the international side the only place currently reporting is Spain for the weekend um and I don't and I took years of Spanish I don't want to butcher his name it's a domestic release in Spain. as another one movie there called Padre no, ja, Padre no Me Hazque Uno Three.
2: So it's
1: about, I got it right. <laughs> you know, I took my time. I took my time reading Spanish is hard for me, speaking it. I got it. But it's about a children who break into break a break, in activity scene figure from their father's collection. A daughter breaks up with a boyfriend and then, a father-in-law, um, being welcome. So yeah, it's basically a story about a family and you know their kids and stuff like that. But yeah.
0: Okay, so onto the news. Um, one of the major news stories, well, the major news stories that are coming out right now is festivals: Venice, Telluride, and feel uh, I think. So but it's really just like this movie had this a number of standing ovations and blah, blah, blah. So it's not, and like this person wore this dress. So it's not like news, news, but, um, (laughs) one of the bigger stories was Lord of the Rings, the rings of power has reported to be review bombed. So basically Amazon prime did this thing where they don't list like their audience reviews for like seven, two hours, because trolls and people of that sort will kind of jump on the platform and just bomb it and just give negative reviews yeah. for the sake of it. Not because it's not good. And I guess that's similarly what's happening here is that, um, there are passionate fans or whatever that you want to call them who are saying that this film is just like, I mean, that film, this television series is not doing well. However, the critics' reviews are very high. I think the critics' reviews are like 80-something and the audience's review is like 30-something. And, like, they're also having issues because they're saying that, oh, you know, it's diverse in ways that it doesn't need to be. And, like, they're only putting diverse casting because people are trying to be woke and whatever. And I've heard that a couple times now between, like, this show, the Game of Thrones show, and the Star Wars stuff. And also maybe the Sandman as well. Like mm-hmm. people have, there are like a section of people who are very angry that Black people are getting employed in these oh. series and these fantasy series. And that makes me angry because, I mean, for obvious reasons, but also because like, what is your issue with having them in there? Like, mm-hmm. is, are they doing a good job? Are they actors? Are they, are they doing what they were hired to do? Then shut up. Like, it's just so, I can't, These fantasy groups, I think they're on, like, another level because I don't know if it's a huge majority of them or if it's just a small minority who are just really loud. But across these fantasy fantasy shows, I've heard those same kind of complaints. And that's very... That makes me nauseous (laughs) or nauseated and I hate it. But anyways, in terms of, like, the actual show being bombed, I heard it good. So, like, (laughs) I don't... I think... These fandoms have way too much power. That's my one. In terms of like speaking a lot. And then also because I think the whole Zack Snyder Justice League thing really showed people that like audiences have a huge impact. Like they can actually make things happen if they want to. That incentivized people to be like, well, now I can say whatever I want. And now I can do whatever I want. And people are just a lot more reckless when it comes to these things. Like they're owed. They're owed something. Like, these people owe them something because they love these books and they love these movies. Like, ain't nobody owe you nothing. Like, that's really wild to me.
1: Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, I don't know why there's an issue with fan- like, people regarding race and, you know, the f- fantasy realm. Because,
2: um, well, let's be honest.
1: At its core, fantasy, this stuff isn't really. There are no elves, there are no unicorns, there are no dwarves, it's fantasies, it's made up. So at that point, you could insert any kind of race, the elf could be black, the elf could be, you know, any any color. there's no race in fantasy in these products, like, when I say race, fantasy has race as in, I guess species, like elves, whatever, whatever. but cultural race as far as like skin color in a way, there's... It's not real. So you can put anybody in any of those positions. And I do feel like some of these fans, like it was, I remember before there was a big issue of when they said they're going to introduce a new Spider-Man. There was like, oh my gosh, a new Spider-Man, blah, blah, it's whatever, you know, Spider-Man is white, blah, blah. And now Miles Morales is just as beloved to a whole generation of people as Peter Parker. I remember watching, you know, animated Just League as a kid. People were complaining like, oh, that's not Green Lantern. Greenlander is white. If you read the comics, there is like four or five other Green Lanterns. You know, one of them is black, and I picked that one to diverse the show because, you know, Dwayne McDuffie, prominent black figure in, you know, comic books and that industry, wanted to have him in there. So, yeah, it's always... I find it funny, like, the products you guys enjoy already are diverse, but you kind of have an issue once it goes from page to screen, whether it's TV or the theater, or you freak out like there can't be black people. Like, because you assume for the most part, let's be honest. For racial reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, black people did exist in the Middle Ages. The Moors went to Europe constantly off the coast of Africa to interact with them. But because all these versions of, you know, um Anglicized histories don't predict don't showcase black knights or anything in the Middle Ages, you assume that because fantasy and middle ages is the same thing, so people of color can't be there. So or if they're there were either slaves or like sexual interests like when um um like the people of Dorne, you know mm. and, and um in and game of thrones or you know the the um the group that um daenerys helps like the, the gray worm and their the people they're they're black like those are only ways we can be
2: seen mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. yeah
1: it's yeah um and as we're talking as we as i do mention game of Thrones. Um, another story is about uh one of the producers or showrunner, Miguel Sotnik. He is hopefully I'm pronouncing your name right, sir. Um, he's leaving the series. Um, where the, um Alan Taylor will join the team and lead the team forward going on the season two. So I'm guessing with this kind of announcement, um, season one is already done and dusted in the bin. I'm guessing. Yeah, it's, um... particularly yeah, because you don't really. Announce, hey, I'm leaving the show as showrunner in the middle of a season, you know, being yeah, shot. So yeah, um, but they've been involved with the show. Uh, he's uh, Alan's been involved with the show going forward. Um, um, uh, I think uh, Miguel said he was honored to be working with Thrones universe for the past couple of years and spending the last two years with the crew of House of Dragon, and he feels professionally and personally, um he's he's accomplished a lot which i would say too being on game of thrones favorite that show ran for like 10 years the first mm-hmm. the first one so that's like a whole that's a decade like people like that's a long time to work on like one project cultural no matter what we feel about how the last couple seasons ended the cultural impact that show had um and then um Alan Taylor is talking about how it's a pleasure to be back at HBO and immersion himself in the world. Targaryens. And he's looking forward to grow uh, of the next season with um George R. Martin and all uh, the showrunner Ryan. So, yeah.
3: Yeah. I'm looking forward to it
1: because sometimes you get into a malaise with the same person dealing with the show all the time. There's no new ideas, no new inventive ways of doing it. So sometimes it probably takes a new perspective to take control show on the next level because you kind of get comfortable doing the same thing like you mm-hmm. did before for 10 years. So,
0: Yeah, I was so surprised that he actually came back to do this show because, like, if you're, like, invested in the world of Game of Thrones, right? Miguel did some of the bigger episodes of the season, mainly The Long Night, which was the season in— which was the episode in season eight with the battle against the um, White Walkers. And that was, like, a 55-night shoot, And during that, there's a whole documentary about the making of the last season. He was like so over it, so exhausted. He looked like he didn't even want to be there or like he signed up for this and now he like completely regretted it. (laughs) So the fact that he even came back to do this show, I was shocked because I was like, you seem like you hated this gig (laughs) back when you were doing season eight. But he was involved with the show, developing it for two years, two to three years with George R.R. Martin and i guess the fact that he's it on this long is a miracle so <laughs> it's okay i think it's okay i think alan taylor he's been in Thrones for a really long time as well and also he did like the sopranos and stuff like that so it's gonna be it's still gonna be good it's just like in terms of like battle sequences miguel was like known as the guy to go to for those bigger episodes where you had like a lot going on and made it look really cinematic and all that other stuff but it's okay. Season one is in the can. It's done, so it's fine. Is <laughs> it? move on. It's,
2: yeah.
1: it's kind. Of, it's kind of funny knowing that you know if you look at, um, I think a majority of I think season two was directed by Alan and Ice Clement as a yeah as a showrunner, yeah. Love and that I think season. he also. I think he directed a couple episodes in like season seven, like uh, an episode of season seven. So it's not like they're throwing somebody into wolves. This is somebody who's experienced,
0: Who, you know, right? Who knows the world,
1: the yeah. World. So yeah, just um, moving on. You want to continue or continue you can start. start, start. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry for for it's jumping okay. on you. Um. So of course, if you've been online the last couple of days, uh. Ari Spears, Tiffany Ashap and currently under a lawsuit for a sketch they did around 0304. Um, and it's kind of funny this comes out after, you know, Ari Spears gives his opinion on the whole Aria Grande topic. Kind of what we were talking about with, you know, uh Bobby Fair talking about her character and um and mm. um euphoria. Mm. Same issue goes on personally in real life with, with Lizzo. He took it upon himself to comment on her looks and, you know, compare oh. himself and say, you know, he's a handsome, let's be honest, look at Aerie Spears, like, it's going from another big dude. I don't think like, you can breathe, my guy, like, come on. So from all that, mm-hmm. once you start being negative to people, the skeletons get dug. Um, So <laughs> it kind of came out that
3: um both him and Tiffany Haddish are currently Used them for ex- exploiting her and her brother and sexually charged a video when they were ex-
1: uh, children. Um I I'm not gonna tell you guys where to watch the video. I have watched the video. Basically I think the video came about either for funny or die, I'm not sure that part of this kind of speech, but it came out around between 2013 2014 and the uh, like the concept of the video is through the eyes of a pedophile. And in this sketch Tiffany had its drops off for a child who was kind of shirtless and just inner- underwear with Aries Spears. Um and from then the scene transitions to the kid playing on the floor with his toys and suggested poses and Aries Spears looking at the kid uh looking his tongue and stuff like that as um as uh t- uh not top but as uh R. Kelly's um my mind's letting me know but my body's me yeah. he plays in the big background. So
2: um
3: not looking good for either one of them. Um Tiffany Haddish herself has come out saying she deeply regrets And she
1: said, "I know people have a bunch of questions. I get it. I'm right there with you. Unfortunately, because it's an ongoing case, it's what really I can say now she does what i say, But clearly, while the sketch was intended to be comedic, it wasn't funny at all. And I do regret having been agreed to act in it. Um, and she said she looks forward to being able to share more about the situation as she can." um so yeah and the the young man in question they said at the time um about filming he was seven um so and her tv has herself constantly features in this series of videos as a mall um repeating leave your kids with aries b or just pedophile character for various reasons and funny enough, or Die themselves said, come out themselves personally, and saying like, the video was removed in 2018, and they called it absolutely disgusting. But, you know, it was there from, like, 2014, 2018. And in that time period, it wasn't disgusting, you know, until
3: 2018. But, yeah. Yeah, that's very disappointing. That's all I can say. It's very disappointing.
0: Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway yeah hopefully that gets sorted um all right so what did we watch this week
2: um well i think you watched something i was
1: i wanted to watch um but i didn't um i did watch uncharted though you know i wanted to watch you know that little kind of nicholas cage kind of turn your brain off action movie and agreed and i was like you know what I haven't seen Uncharted, you know, and me being a video game person knowing about where it comes from. I'm usually always apprehensive of over of video game movies because they don't end up good. Sonic is like the only outlier ever. Um, but Uncharted was, you know, enjoyable. It wasn't the greatest movie of that, you know, treasure hunt genre, but it wasn't, it was, it was bad. It was a, a basic movie. It was enjoyable. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, was it wasn't it, bad.
2: Was it, mean, better, it
0: was, was it better than the other um, video game to screen adaptions you've seen?
1: I will say, yeah. I mean, if you if you take
0: away the fact that
1: it is a video game to screen adaptation, if the video game hadn't existed, I don't think the issues people had with it being a thing would have been as loud, because if it was just, oh, a movie featuring Tom Holland and, you know, Mark Wahlberg and Charted was coming out with people not having knowledge of the series... Probably would have still, it would have probably did probably a little better. But that idea of, you know, video game movies doing well, or the constant horrible portrayal or diversion from the context of video game movies kind of left people think apprehensive to a degree
3: about it. So, yeah. Hey, I have
0: to go. So I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I watched, I started watching Bad Sisters with My Best Friend, which is a show about a group of sisters who may or may not have killed their brother-in-law and shot in Ireland. Um, If you've seen um, Behind Her Eyes, Eve Houston, who's in that, is also in this. And Derek McCormick, who is in Good Luck to You, Leo Grande. He is such a good actor. Love him. He's also in this show, so if you like those two things, those two sh- those two movies or movies in a miniseries, and or those actors, go watch it. It's very good. I also started watching The Patient, which is with Steve Carell and Dom Hill Gleason, about a therapist and a patient, and the patient is like a serial killer or something like that. Um, I I'm okay with it. I don't love it it makes me want to watch Mindhunter, and i can't because there's no new seasons because david fincher i don't know what you're doing over there but (laughs) um we don't
1: question fincher on this podcast
0: yeah i love you If you ever wanted me to be in a movie of yours, like, even just to, like, home, hold the boom mic, I will do it. No questions asked. But I'm just saying, like, I, we, we would also like to see another season of Mindhunter, if you don't mind. Um, but it made me want to watch that. And I felt like I was watching, like, the great value brand Mindhunter with this show. It's only been two episodes. It can get better. But I'm just not really feeling it right now. Um, and then, and then I watched House of Hammer. I am waiting to see this docu for like since it was announced. I was like, yeah. I am in. I am watching it. <laughs> <sighs> we're gonna have to take a little section just to talk about this for a second because I have. No,
1: do, do 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 you? Let's just the floor is open to you because this was <laughs> something I wanted to watch as well. So I'm gonna let you have your moment. I'm gonna sit back and let talk about. It.
0: Please watch it literally go on discovery plus there's a seven day free trial just do it and then after you finish watching it you can watch watch it in like a day and then just delete your subscription Mm -hmm. that's what i did (laughs) anyway um okay so army hammer his past girlfriend talked she spoke the documentary about their relationship that was the last relationship that he was in before everything got exposed. So this is like 2020. I thought he was married. Oh, okay. Yes. Let's, let's go back there. Is he there. married? Let's go back Is he married? There. Okay. Oh, Army okay. Hammer. Okay. Was married to Elizabeth mm. Chambers for, I think 10 years, about 10 years. Mm. I think They were together for longer than that, but they were married for about 10 years. It has two kids. Um, They got, I think they separated in 2020. I think they announced it on Instagram that they were going separate ways. And it seemed to be very amicable. Like, our marriage just ended. We're going to focus on co-parenting. Blah, blah, blah. blah. Then he was seen out with um, Rumor Willis, daughter of Bruce Willis and um, Demi Moore. And then he had, like, other girlfriends. Right? But, Mm. like, no one really cared about that because, like, it... We were trying not to die. Like, this was, like, heavy. This is like, in the thick of the pandemic. Like, who cares what Army Hammer's doing, right? And then in early 2021, all of the allegations had come out about non-consensual sex or just his weird kink of, like, cannibalism, all of that other stuff. And then the rape al- al- allegations came out, all of that stuff. And then he was canceled and blah, blah, blah. And then we're up to date to where we're at right now. But he yeah. was married. But it seems like if there's a Vanity Fair article that was published around the same time they announced this show, where they said that he had been cheating on his wife for many years. Um, since 2016, 2017. the girl who came out with her rape allegations literally said that they had started dating in 2016 while he was very much still married to this woman, to Elizabeth Chambers, like. Anyway, so basically this documentary covered his girlfriend, one of the girlfriends that he had, Courtney, I forgot her last name. Um, and then it covered another person he was talking to on DMing. And then it covered his family history. Now, ARMY comes from like money, money, like that old money. Old money. Yeah. Um, and every member of his family, all the men of his family corrupt beyond, 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 like beyond corrupt, or maybe like the right amount of corrupt that you would expect of a person who was very wealthy, like. <laughs> There are no the, wealthy people who are, like, good. The
1: expected levels that we have
0: for rich yeah. people being, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, <laughs> that level. Um, and Armin Hammer, who was, like, his great-great-grandfather, whatever, he has this oil company, whatever, very rich and wealthy. Somehow Prince Charles and Princess Diana was, co- like, covered in this series because him and Prince Charles had some, like, business deal. I was like, what is, why are y'all in this documentary? But whatever. Um, and then his father, um, and then there was his son, Julius, who will like, was a hot mess. He sexually abused his daughter. Like it was terrible. And then his son, Michael's army's father and Michael was like a mess as well. <laughs> but then they, everything went to him for some reason. Cause they skipped over the, the grandfather and went straight to him again, corrupt married of like wealthy lady who was very religious and then they had army and his brother so basically they were chronicling like all these generations of men just doing mm-hmm. the worst things to people especially using women as just like objects of fun and folly we don't really care about what they're doing or who they are abuse sexual and physical many women coming in and out of the house drugs alcohol like that whole entire thing that's their that's their family right and so you see all of that and then you see army hammer and army hammer was very much presented as like hollywood's golden boy in the early in his earlier career and then call me by your name happened and that like set him up like after that like when he started being involved in those conversations and those oscar nominations conversations and all that other stuff he was taken a lot more seriously as an actor. And then the image that he projected was like, yes, I'm this, not straight-laced. Like if you look at his interviews, he was into some crazy stuff, but like a good guy, dedicated husband and father, like that's the image that he projected. The Chris and, Pratt
1: portrayal.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and then to find out all of the stuff was going on. And it's so much worse than I could have ever Thought it would be like I was, and I'm not being dramatic. Like I am dramatic, but I'm not being dramatic right now. Like I was sick to my stomach watching some of the stuff that was like in his DMs, like the stuff that he would send women and the stuff that he did to these women. Disgusting. Like, and I'm not, and I'm not even kidding. Like, (laughs) I was shocked and just horrified at the stuff that he was writing to them, the stuff that he did to them, and the way that he would like sweep these girls up who were like random ladies, you know what I'm saying? Like they're not, they weren't actresses or whatever. Like they were like business ladies in Texas or whatever. Like and he was just sweep these girls up, love bomb them and then do things to them that were just like ridiculous and, and not BDSM because that's what he was alleging. Like he was alleging like, Oh, it's consensual. This is just a kink. And people were joking about it for a long time because they were like, ah-ha-ha, ha, army wants to eat ribs." Like that's funny. It's not funny, and it's also not BDSM because there wasn't there at the certain point there was no more consent and no more safeguards in place and anymore. no more safety. Yeah. So that's not B, and that's BDSM was all about consent, communication, it's consent, mutual, safety.
4: like, yeah.
0: And none of that was present. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, none of that was present during these encounters. So. I was literally sick to my stomach watching every single one of these episodes. Cause I'm like, I felt deceived. Maybe that's why I felt so grossed out because yeah. I've been watching ARMY since ARMY was on Gossip Girl. Like if you remember ARMY on Gossip Girl, like you've been rolling with this dude for a long time. Even through all the bombs, the Lone Ranger, the Man From U.N.C.L.E., I was with him through all of that. Hey, the Man From U.N.C.L.E. is not a bomb. And no, man. no, I mean, box office wise it was. I liked it though. I liked the movie. I thought it was a good good movie. (laughs) I thought it was a good movie. Anyway. Um, and then for him to become this like beloved figure through Call Me by Your Name, the relationship he had with Timothy Chalamet, like everyone was like sold. Everyone was sold on our humor.
3: And then for him to
0: do this, which is not out of pattern because again, that's what the documentary explores. This is a pattern of behavior between generation to generation. So it but it feels like a betrayal because he didn't present that way at all. And so you feel like, I felt disgusting. I was like, I can't believe this guy is doing all of this stuff. Like, it's very, it's so off-putting. It's so off-putting.
2: Yeah, this this feels
1: like, um, because he was on a roll. I mean, you, you mentioned Network. You mentioned, you know, mm. as much as bad as Lone Ranger was, it was a major... Everybody made a big deal of it outside, you know man not did the, the money theatrically, but it has a massive cult following us included who like beyond like the numbers might say one thing, but the audience reaction is amazing, Call it by your name, of course, sorry to bother you, hotel Mumbai, you know who's, he was on a he was on a a roll per se, and I do think like reading the like a- modest synopsis where you mentioned the issue with his great grandfather like with the oil rig and having it explode and people dying and portraying themselves as sincere and crying and then on the private set, like, fuck it, pour the champagne, let's party. You know, you're right, it's, it's, it seems like it's a generational thing. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, the one who wanted to, and I think why, what made all this come to the limelight, is before they were just, they were rich people interacting with other rich people who had these weird weird tastes and behaviors and you know, things but once, you know, he decided, I want to become a celebrity, I want to pull back, like, I want to pull back the veil. And once you become a celebrity, all, you're, you're honestly making yourself available to everybody. You know, all your secrets kind of end up getting put out there. And I think, and I find it funny that for decades. That this family has been doing these kind of shenanigans, Mm. and nobody really knew about it until the one person who's like, "I want to be actor. I want to be famous. I want to be famous, not just have money because I got money. I want to be famous. I want to be famous." That's what broke the back for the whole family and put all their a century of drama, almost two centuries with drama, out in the public space, like old articles and articles that were got have newspaper articles that have been lost in time are recirculating about oh this hammer did this and stuff like that and uh court cases all those I, I find that so interesting that this was the person like it somebody always comments somebody made a comment um like parents build a fortune kids maintain it but the grandkids kind of always fuck it up mm. and I feel like the family skeletons like you know great grandparents know they did it father did it here comes arnie hammer not knowing how hard it was to take to hide this episode of secret just on Twitter, going crazy like yeah i'm into crazy shit come over and then going beyond social norms like i i find that so amazing
0: yeah like and that's the thing like during when this stuff came out i really didn't know what to think but now watching this I think I made a mentioned earlier in a, like an earlier podcast, like, oh, I don't know how we feel about Armin here right now because we haven't heard him a- about him or anything. Yeah. But watching this, I'm like, no, you're an abuser. Yeah. Like it's not, it, it went beyond like having a weird kink. That's not the situation. So I think that this is a good documentary in illuminating what actually was going on because I think people have been like joking about it for like a year. Like yeah. he has been a punchline. But in terms of, like, the criminal, like, the real criminal activity that went on, that's not funny. So, it's, like, it's now, now I understand why this, this is an important thing to watch. Because you can see, nah, it's not weird kink. It's not, like, rich people stuff. It's, it's literally someone abusing other people. Mm-hmm. And then once that's over, finding somebody else to do it, too. So, like, a serial abuser. <laughs> um so i don't know like robert downing jr was like helping him out and trying to like let him stay in his home and like because i think people saw this as another like oh this is just a person who got canceled because they did something that wasn't socially acceptable Mm -hmm. but that is not what this is and i think that's the main point that i want to drive home (laughs) about this docuseries it's not weird kinks it's not he did something that was socially unacceptable this is predatory behavior this is criminal behavior criminal charges need to be drawn up i don't know why they haven't been yet um he's not safe to work around so like whatever comeback he was hoping to happen i wouldn't feel sa- i would not hope, hope no one would feel safe being with him in any type of capacity in the working working or otherwise like I hope no woman is with him at this point. I mean, I'm sure someone is, cause someone always, it, some woman always is like, you know what, he's just broken and I can fix him. Don't do it to yourself, sis. But like, that is the situation. Like he is, he is an abuser. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to say it. I didn't want to say it. I was trying to hold out hope for him cause he seems like a genuinely like, cool person. That's just what it is. Like you gotta just call it out for what it is. Like you're, you were an abuser took advantage of people and you hurt them like no Um, how do I feel about him now I feel like he's done I'm he's done to me in my book like I'm not watching call me by your name anymore I don't think you can like invest in him anymore because that's what he is that's what he's done Mm. and it's just honoring those victims by saying by joking it off or by not taking it seriously so Mm. that's that on that yeah
1: It's 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 amazing. Like it's it's and it's and I've always wondered, knowing what we know about him now, I, now I'm curious as to what else. Like, how did everything else in his family like stay hidden? Like, money. That's
0: what they said.
3: And, yeah, they had so much money. money.
0: They were paying people off. They were crime. Like serious crimes committed. Like someone. One of the people in his family shot someone, like killed someone and didn't go, serve jail yeah. real time. You know what I'm saying? Like, Legitimate crimes have been committed and they have covered up with money every single time. But now because of the internet, you can't do that. See, that's the thing. That's the element that was really missing because they were able yeah. to get away with it for all these years, but now you have the internet. You have people snooping around and people finding stuff. Hey. So now your stuff is getting exposed. Like the internet, good or bad, is, is illuminating. It illuminates a lot of stuff. So. (laughs) Okay.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, look, at a certain, I, I think, and with this whole situation, a lot of, um, ego played into it especially seeing the generation of men probably um, we don't even know if women into something we're doing this kind of crazy thing i think for the most part because he's a man we're focusing on him we don't know if the women did crazy stuff either um Mm -hmm. it's just he saw it as a pattern of oh i can do this guy i want to do that he tried to continue that behavior while trying to be in the public eye which never ever works out Mm -hmm. for anybody so
0: yeah Mm -hmm well that's it folks <laughs> that's it from us we hope that you are taking care of yourselves and having a good week make sure to check out all of our social media follow us on letterbox Support us if you can and we will see you guys in the next episode goodbye au revoir